Hello and welcome to Misty 101 Podcast. A World War II Nazi tank discovered in a retiree's basement leads to legal spat. There was also a torpedo and an anti-aircraft gun. A German retiree is at the center of a legal wrangle after police found World War II Panther tank, an anti-aircraft gun, and a torpedo in his basement in 2015. A team of prosecutors and lawyers is working to negotiate a penalty for the 84-year-old, which could include a suspended sentence and a fine of up to €500,000 A debate has arisen whether the military collector has broken Germany's War Weapons Control Act. The defense argues that the weapons are no longer functional, therefore not in breach of this legislation, and would accept a lower fine of €50,000, according to an Artida report. However, this is contested by prosecutors, who argue that the weapons could still be used. According to his lawyer, a U.S. museum wants to buy the war-era Panther tank, with military collectors interested in the 70 assault rifles and numerous pistols owned by the defendant, Die Welt newspaper reported. The armaments were discovered in the retiree's basement in 2015 after local authorities were informed of its wartime contents after the property was searched for Nazi-era art. Art, according to the BBC. It took 20 soldiers nine hours to remove the trove of military hardware from the unnamed man's home in Heikendorf, a suburb of Kiel, in northern Germany. There was also a hoard of Nazi memorabilia, including a bust of Hitler, mannequins in Nazi uniforms, swastika pendants, SS rune-shaped lamps, and a statue of a naked warrior holding a sword in his extended hand that once stood outside Hitler's chancellery in Berlin, by the dictator's favorite sculptor, Arno Brecher, reported War History Online. At the time of the raid, the mayor of Heikendorf, Alexander Orth, told Suddeutsche Zeitung that the man once drove the tank in 1978. When asked his thoughts on the ownership of the tank, the mayor replied, one loves steam trains, the other old tanks. The case is set to conclude in August 2021. UK's conveniently timed boasts about hydrogen-solving CO2 crisis at odds with experts' questions about its green credentials. As hosts of the COP26 climate conference, the UK has leapt on the hydrogen bandwagon but experts say its use as a carbon emissions-free fuel is overstated and could make the greenhouse gas problem even worse. When Germany's celebrated Hindenburg lit up over the sky of New Jersey on May 6, 1937, leaving 36 of the 97 passengers aboard dead it might have signaled the end of transatlantic travel by Zeppelin but it also highlighted the potential of hydrogen not as an explosive gas, but as a fuel. If only the energy potential of the gas, which could burn so furiously it destroyed the airship within 30 seconds, could be harnessed then its uses would be legion. Since 1937, such leaps and bounds have been made that we are at the point now where the UK government has even produced a hydrogen strategy, details of which will be announced imminently.
Of course, the only reason we're even talking about this is that the UK plays host to the UN's Climate Change Conference of the Parties (COP26) in Glasgow later this year, and Prime Minister Boris Johnson needs something to show the nation is a global leader in reducing its own carbon footprint on the way to a 2050 target of net zero. The problem with choosing to showcase the use of hydrogen is that the gas is not something that exists as a natural fuel, it needs to be manufactured. And while burning hydrogen produces no carbon, the processes involved in extracting it from either natural gas, so-called blue hydrogen, or from water, green hydrogen, can be more polluting than burning the fossil fuels it seeks to replace. The UK government's hydrogen strategy will back the development of both blue and green hydrogen but you have to wonder how closely they have looked at the science here. In a report for the Japanese government released this year, the International Energy Agency found that hydrogen production is currently responsible for CO2 emissions of around 830 million tonnes per year, equivalent to the emissions of the UK and Indonesia combined. So while using hydrogen for heating our homes, fueling fleets of cars and powering public transport sounds like sexy sustainability, until we can produce the gas totally carbon-free then all the green tech is useless and upscaling production is simply making the problem we're trying to solve even worse. But that doesn't read so well on a green-washing government press release looking to capture headlines and it certainly doesn't tally up with boasts from fossil fuel-hungry energy giants like Shell and BP that they are on track to meet ambitious net-zero targets. Blue hydrogen relies on fossil fuels for its production because it's extracted from natural gas with the carbon-produced pipe to storage in saline aquifers under the Northern Irish seas or in the now-depleted gas and oil fields. When burning gas for hydrogen, however, more of the problematic greenhouse gas methane escapes into the atmosphere than it would when burning natural gas for heat, according to a study released this week. That work by two U.S. academics and published in the journal Energy Science and Engineering, finds that the greenhouse gas footprint of blue hydrogen is more than 20% greater than burning natural gas or coal for heat and 60% greater than diesel. It concludes, the use of blue hydrogen appears difficult to justify on climate grounds. Meanwhile, green hydrogen is mostly extracted from water using chemical and heat processes, which are polluting and carbon-producing themselves. If, however, the process of electrolysis is used to extract green hydrogen, and the electricity used comes from solar or wind sources, then no carbon is produced. Most experts appear to agree that this is the only true path to clean hydrogen although it is currently a massively underused technology with just 0.1% of the world's hydrogen produced this way. It will take money to develop this potential. And lots of it. This will mean more than just higher green levies on energy bills for UK citizens, it will mean serious financial commitment from the global energy companies and unprecedented intergovernmental agreements. 
If that can be achieved at COP26 then it will be time well spent. If not, then all this talk about hydrogen is just more hot air. UK police watchdog investigating cops over return of Plymouth shooter's gun and permit. The UK's police watchdog has opened an investigation into the police force that returned a gun and a permit to the shooter who went on to kill five people and himself in Plymouth, southwest England. Jake Davison, 22, gunned down five people in the port city of Plymouth on Thursday. He killed two men, two women, including his mother, and a toddler, before turning his weapon on himself. Attention has now turned to Davison's troubled history, as well as his firearms ownership. He allegedly posted on Insul forums online, describing his struggles with the opposite sex, and had his shotgun and permit taken off him last December following an allegation of assault. However, Devon and Cornwall Police reinstated his license and returned his weapon last month after Davison completed an anger management course. The Independent Office for Police Conduct IOPC, announced on Friday that it will investigate the circumstances surrounding the police force's reinstatement of Davison's license. We will examine what police actions were taken and when, the rationale behind police decision-making, and whether relevant law, policy and procedures were followed concerning Mr. Davison's possession of a shotgun, read a statement from IOPC Regional Director David Ford. The investigation will also consider whether the force had any information concerning Mr. Davison's mental health and if so, if this information was appropriately considered. Davison's rampage was the worst mass shooting to hit the UK since 2010, when taxi driver Derek Bird shot and killed 12 people in Cumbria. The Foreign Office did not call an Afghan minister last week regarding the safety of local interpreters, the government has admitted. The department initially said that Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab had been too busy to make the call, but insisted it had been delegated to a junior minister. Given the rapidly changing situation, it was not possible to arrange a call before the Afghan government collapsed. It said, the revelation that the request was never made comes after Mr. Raab faced pressure to resign over the debacle. Meanwhile, the Taliban is reported to have increased its door-to-door -door searches for former government employees, despite publicly granting them an amnesty. The militant group has been targeting collaborators since it swept into Kabul on Sunday, according to a report by the RHIPTO Norwegian Center for Global Analyzers, a group which works for the UN. Afghans struggle to reach Kabul airport as Taliban patrol streets thousands of Afghans continue to wait for evacuation flights and many have been facing difficulties reaching the airport. As the streets are patrolled by Taliban militants. According to BBC, the Taliban are particularly not letting Afghans who do not have travel documents to reach the airport. But even those with valid documents have reportedly struggled. In a recent viral video on social media showing the struggle to board a flight, an American Afghan couple is seen pleading to U.S. forces to let them in.
IMF blocks Afghanistan's access to fund resources The International Monetary Fund announced on Wednesday Afghanistan's access to the emergency reserve worth US$460 million will be blocked following the takeover of the Taliban. The organization stated at lack of clarity on its government as the reason. As is always the case, the IMF is guided by the views of the international community, an IMF spokesperson said in a statement. There is currently a lack of clarity within the international community regarding recognition of a government in Afghanistan, as a consequence of which the country cannot access SDRs or other IMF resources. Earlier, on Tuesday, the Biden administration also froze about US$9.5 billion of Afghan reserves to keep cash away from the Taliban after it captured Afghanistan. Former Vice President Lords Afghanistan protests Afghanistan's former Vice President, who has put forward his bid to be considered the lawful President of Afghanistan in absence of Ashraf Ghani, lauded the protest marches in the country on Wednesday. Amrullah Saleh wrote on Twitter, I express my respect, support and appreciation for the courageous and patriotic movement of the honorable people of my country in different places for raising the national flag against the Taliban proxy group. A number were honorably martyred in this way salute those who carry the national flag and thus stand for the dignity of the nation and the country, he added. At least three people were killed and more than a dozen were injured during the protest as the Taliban opened fire. The march was carried out to unfurl the national flag of Afghanistan. A British ex-Marine who runs an animal sanctuary in Kabul has branded the government's evacuation of the Afghan capital a masterclass in how to do everything wrong amid chaotic scenes at the city's airport, and insists he will not flee the country until the UK authorities agree to relocate his staff. Paul Penn, Farthing, founder of rescue charity Nauzad, has called on the British government to take in 25 Afghans who work for his organization, including young female veterinarians in their 20s, who he warned were most at risk from the Taliban. He has vowed not to leave Afghanistan until his staff are given permission to relocate to the UK. U.S. forces will remain in Afghanistan until all they get everyone out, even if this goes beyond the previously set 31 August deadline, Joe Biden has said. The president told ABC News, Americans should understand that we're gonna try to get it done before August 31. And if you're American force, if there's American citizens left, we're gonna stay to get them all out, he added. Up to 15,000 U.S. troops are in the country as well as between 50,000 and 65,000 Afghans which the U.S. wants to evacuate. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab has been criticized for not making himself available to call his Afghan counterpart last week. The Tory frontbencher was advised by Foreign Office officials to ring Hanif Atmar to ensure help was given to local interpreters who had helped British forces. 
However, he was too busy to make the call and it was conducted the next day by a junior minister, shortly before the Taliban took control of Kabul. Shadow Home Secretary Nick Thomas Simmons was among those who criticized Mr. Raab, saying his actions were utterly shameful and a dereliction of duty. The West will be seen as weak after NATO forces withdrew from Afghanistan and the Taliban swept to power, Defense Secretary Ben Wallace has said. What I'm uncomfortable with is that we have a world order now, where resolve is perceived by our adversaries, as weak, the West's resolve, he told the BBC. A total of 12 people have been killed at Kabul airport since the Taliban captured the city on Sunday, officials have confirmed. As the militant group swept into the capital, thousands of desperate people fled to the airport in attempts to flee the country. The subsequent deaths were caused by either stampedes or gunshots, according to a Taliban official, who urged the crowds outside the airport to go home. We don't want to hurt anyone at the airport, they said. The developments in Afghanistan are a catastrophe and a nightmare, the EU's foreign policy chief said on Thursday. Josep Borrell also spoke of Western intelligence's failure to anticipate the Taliban's return to power. His comments came as the first EU staff to be evacuated from Afghanistan touched down in Madrid. Mothers throw babies over barbed wire at Kabul airport in desperation. Kabul airport has seen many desperate scenes since Sunday. But this is among the most harrowing, the mothers were desperate, they were getting beaten by the Taliban. They shouted, save my baby, and threw the babies at us, some of the babies fell on the barbed wire. It was awful what happened. By the end of the night there wasn't one man among us who was not crying, said the parachute regiment officer quietly. The Labour Party has hit out at Dominic Raab for not doing more to help Afghan interpreters working with British forces. After it emerged that Foreign Secretary was too busy to call his Afghan counterpart about the issue on Friday, Keir Starmer tweeted, who wouldn't make a phone call if they were told it could save somebody's life. However, Defence Secretary Ben Wallace defended his cabinet colleagues' actions. He told BBC Radio 4's Today programme the Afghan government was melting away quicker than ice late last week. A phone call to an Afghan minister at that time would have not made a blind bit of difference, he claimed. Several people died after the Taliban fired shots at a crowd of people waving the national flag in Asadabad, a witness has said. The victims were either killed by gunfire or by the stampede it sparked, Mohammad Salim said from the eastern city. The Taliban is yet to respond to the report. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab should resign today or else be sacked for not helping Afghan interpreters flee the Taliban, the Liberal Democrats have said. Leila Moran MP, the party's foreign affairs spokesperson, said Mr. Raab was one of the worst foreign secretaries ever after he failed to call an Afghan minister to discuss the safety of local British allies. 
Right now, there are interpreters across Afghanistan who are surrounded by the Taliban and fearing the worst, she said. All the foreign secretary had to do was leave the beach and pick up the phone. He did not. He has shamed Britain and is no longer fit to represent our country, Musmaran added. Several people died after the Taliban fired shots at a crowd of people waving the national flag in Asadabad, a witness has said. The victims were either killed by gunfire or by the stampede it sparked, Muhammad Salim said from the eastern city. The Taliban is yet to respond to the report. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab should resign today or else be sacked for not helping Afghan interpreters flee the Taliban, the Liberal Democrats have said. Leila Moran MP, the party's foreign affairs spokesperson, said Mr. Raab was one of the worst foreign secretaries ever, after he failed to call an Afghan minister to discuss the safety of local British allies. Right now, there are interpreters across Afghanistan who are surrounded by the Taliban and fearing the worst, she said. All the foreign secretary had to do was leave the beach and pick up the phone. He did not. He has shamed Britain and is no longer fit to represent our country, Musmaran added. We are asking for your support. You can make your donations on our website www.misty101.com on podcast page. Britain's slow transformation into a biosecurity state may be more cock-up than conspiracy, but it's still dangerous as a result of attempts to control the pandemic. British citizens have found themselves slipping into a hideous form of incompetent, electronic tyranny where the use of ineffective government apps is a condition of our freedom. One of the recurrent fears about the endless government intervention into our lives around COVID is that we end up in a biosecurity state. Instead of papers please, we'll have to produce our smartphones to prove we deserve the privilege of going about our daily lives. It seems everyday activities such as going to the pub, attending lectures or watching a football match will be dependent on demonstrating our health status. Meanwhile, we are in the midst of a pandemic. Hundreds of thousands of people are being forced into isolation simply because they may have been near someone who has been infected for a few minutes. We're replacing national lockdowns with a swathe of personalized micro-lockdowns, often simply because two smartphones were within Bluetooth range of each other for a few minutes. Ah, the supporters of the tracking app say, there's only a pandemic, because cases are rising so much. But how many of those people forced to stay at home, and it's worse than the national lockdowns because you can't leave home at all, even to go to work or buy groceries, go on to test positive for the disease. The absurdity of it all is illustrated by the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, having had a bad dose of Covid himself and subsequently been double-jabbed with a vaccine, he still had to stick to the rules and isolate when he was pinged. He's just out of isolation, which he spent in the comfort of checkers, a rather different experience than most other people forced to isolate.
The upshot of this absurdity is that businesses and public services are suffering to such an extent that it is threatening the health of the economy as well as the mental health of those forced to lock themselves away. No wonder people who have been pinged have decided to ignore it, particularly once they've had a negative test. And that's notwithstanding the many more who have simply deleted the app for fear of being wrongly pinged. In other words, this policy manages to be both draconian and useless. All of this reveals the absurdity of the biosecurity state. But that doesn't mean it's not dangerous. The government seems to have fallen for the grifters who tell them that tech can solve every problem. The former health secretary, Matt Hancock, seems to have fallen just as head over heels for this kind of nonsense as he has for his former aide, Gina Colladangelo. The tracing app was months late and hobbled by Google and Apple preventing useful data being supplied, stuff like telling people where they were pinged, on privacy grounds. This seemingly unbreakable attachment to smart solutions that turn out to be dumb means that the government is spraying money around on useless programs. The latest wheeze is a loyalty points scheme to get people to adopt healthy lifestyles by monitoring what they buy at the supermarket and how much exercise they take. It will have more impact on government deficits than it will on waistlines. But just because these schemes are useless doesn't stop them from being effective in another sense, restricting our liberties. Take smoking. When it comes to public health liberalism, smokers are the canary in the coal mine. It's 14 years since smoking was banned in workplaces and other public places. The immediate effect on smoking rates was minimal. In Ireland, smoking rates actually went up after the ban in 2003. But the ban did leave smokers huddling outside in the cold and rain to light up and it ended up being the death knell for thousands of community pubs that relied on the beer and fags crowd. All that was done in the name of protecting hospitality workers. In reality, it was a desire to crack down on an unhealthy habit. Since then, we've seen numerous other interventions in the name of protecting smokers from themselves, including a ban on smoking in cars when children are present and attempts to ban smoking in outdoor places. Whatever you think about smoking, the fact such laws have been passed has given public health lobbyists the confidence to believe that they could be applied to other issues like alcohol, such as minimum unit pricing to discourage poor people in Scotland from drinking, through to taxes on sugary drinks. Governments create illiberal rules and we are forced to watch them spread like weeds. The same applies to other matters. After a massive panic about child sex offenders, laws were introduced requiring organizations to run background checks on the criminal records of workers and even volunteers. Now background checks seem to be everywhere. Laws to prevent terrorism are being used by local authorities to snoop on people dumping rubbish illegally. We should therefore be very worried about the rise of the biosecurity state.
It turns everyday life into a privilege rather than a right, and one that is dependent on playing ball with whatever healthy behavior the government sees fit to enforce. Equally, in the name of health, it means the government is constantly tracking our movements. If you think this seems a bit far-fetched, just look at what a government with less concern for liberty and democratic niceties, Singapore, has been doing in merging check-in systems for COVID with its test and trace app. Rightly, many people are pushing back against COVID passports and tracking apps. They might be temporary, if fairly useless, attempts to control a pandemic. But they might also be the thin end of the wedge for expanding the apparatus for the state to control its citizens. Police shut London shop after substance was injected into food a man was arrested on suspicion of contaminating food at several London supermarkets. Police officers locked down three shops in Fulham after the man injected a suspicious substance into foods with needles. The government's planned £20 a week cut to universal credit cut could drive 2.3 million people into debt including almost half of claimants in Red Wall battleground constituencies, the charity Citizens Advice has said. In findings that highlighted the potential electoral risk of the cut confirmed by Boris Johnson last month, it found that the average budget shortfall facing claimants in areas such as Redcar and Stoke-on-Trent would be £55 a month, pushing them into debt and driving up food bank use. The Prime Minister said the end of the £20 top-up was part of a post-pandemic policy of getting people into work, but Citizens Advice said a survey of more than 2,000 claimants showed more than one-third would be in debt after paying just their essential bills as a result, rising to 49% in red wall areas. It said that if the cut goes ahead, it would compound rising energy bills and further redundancies as the furlough scheme ended, pushing families into hardship. One claimant, a single father in Northumberland, told Citizens Advice, I'd have to go down to one meal a day to make sure my son has enough to eat. My son is growing all the time, so he always needs something new but I just can't afford it, said Sean, a fisher who is off work with health issues. I've had to cut back and pay the bare minimum in bills just to afford his school uniform. I'm doing my very best to give him everything he needs but it's a daily struggle. I just don't know how I'm going to cope. Anthony Jimenez, 45, a former bike mechanic in Boreham Wood, Hertfordshire, said the cut would leave him with less than £50 a week for food and other essentials, and would drive him further into debt. He cannot work because he suffers debilitating long COVID after nine days in intensive care in January. His father and uncle died from coronavirus. It's a joke, he told The Guardian. I will have less than £200 a month to live on and that's not living, that's surviving. I can't go to the pub, see my kids, even getting a bus, I can't afford that. Welfare charities estimated that up to 2 million UC claimants were unaware of the imminent reduction.
The Joseph Rountree Foundation has said the cut would push 500,000 people below the poverty line. Analysis by the Trades Union Congress suggested the worst affected areas would be in the southwest of England where many people were on low pay supplemented by UC. Charlie Young, who works at Arran and Chichester Citizens Advice, said, take away £20 a week and you push them into the red. It'll be devastating. We're gearing up to provide more crisis support if the cut happens. That means food bank referrals, fuel vouchers and helping parents of babies and toddlers get access to nappies and milk. A government spokesperson said the temporary uplift to UC helped claimants through the toughest stages of the pandemic, but said that, with record vacancies available, the focus was on helping claimants getting into work. Drastic action taken as companies issue food shortage warning for Christmas. School dinners, care home meals and even Christmas lunch are at risk of falling victim to the food shortage issues Britain is experiencing due to Brexit, experts have warned. It comes after reports, first published by Politics Home, yesterday about supply and demand issues in the the bakery chain Greg's. Like Nando's and KFC, it is dealing with chicken shortages amid the UK's ongoing labour crisis, the website said. This follows stock issues already reported by McDonald's and Subway across the UK. A shortage of drivers is thought to be the root cause of the issue, as the majority of long-haul EU drivers returned home due to harsh immigration rules enforced by Boris Johnson's government after the UK's divorce from Europe. We have two problems, supply of products into our warehouses and supply from our warehouses to customers. Coral Rose, managing director of the country group Food Service Group, told BBC R4's Today programme earlier. We're taking drastic action, because there is going to be increased pressure as schools reopen. The head of the co-op supermarket told The Independent on Wednesday that the shortages were the worst he had ever seen, while Iceland's boss warned that supply disruption could see Christmas cancelled for some families this year. Social media users have begun reacting to the news that Brexit-caused food shortages are taking Britain by storm. Having worked in food logistics until recently, I can assure you that the primary reason for acute driver shortage is that drivers from the EU have returned home due to poorer euro-pound exchange post-referendum, one man wrote. Another said the government was trying to blame the pandemic for what was clearly a Brexit issue. Elsewhere, someone criticised ministers for attempting to take our country back, which we hadn't lost in the first place, via the divorce deal. Ministers are under pressure to relax post-Brexit migration rules to unblock Britain's worst supply chain crisis since the 1970s, with business leaders warning that continued disruption could ruin Christmas, according to a report. Industry bosses said urgent changes to the visa system were required as retailers struggle to keep shelves stocked, and restaurants run out of food and drink in the meltdown triggered by Covid and Brexit, according to The Guardian. 
Estimates put the shortage of workers needed to drive lorries, handle goods in warehouses and pick fruit and vegetables at hundreds of thousands. Company bosses and trade groups are now warning that if ministers refuse to allow more EU workers into the UK, they risk a deeper crisis this winter. An analysis of ONS labour market figures by the newspaper confirms the extent of the fall in Eastern Europeans in the UK workforce since the start of the pandemic, and after Britain left the EU earlier this year. The number of Romanian and Bulgarian workers in the UK, who would typically fill food production roles, has plunged by almost 90,000 since the end of 2019, the investigation found. Employees from eight Eastern European countries, including Poland and the Czech Republic, have fallen by more than 100,000, or 12% too. Meanwhile, industry sources told the paper that in addition to lorry driver shortages, there was a lack of tens of thousands of seasonal agricultural workers, and 14,000 needed in meat processing plants. Coral Rose, managing director of the country group Food Service Group, spoke to BBC R4's Today programme this morning. She explained how food shortages were impacting their customers, which include care homes and schools, and what was being done to try and remedy the situation. We have two problems, supply of products into our warehouses and supply from our warehouses to customers, Coral Rose, managing director of the country group Food Service Group, told BBC R4's Today programme earlier. When we are having trouble getting the supply of a particular product, we'll then speak to someone else and try and source it from elsewhere. So, we might not be able to get the customer the brand they like but we do everything to ensure they can supply their customers. It isn't easy, though, Ms. Rose warned. We're working incredibly hard and we have to ensure, for example, that for every substituted product, there is no change to allergens, because that's very important to take note of. So we're trying our very best. She added, we're taking drastic action, such as buying smaller delivery vehicles to ensure drivers don't need special HGV licenses, because there is going to be increased pressure as schools reopen and people continue to holiday in the UK. Asked if this was bad for the environment, due to the risk of increasing the number of cars on the road, Ms. Rose admitted it wasn't the ideal situation, but said it was all we can do to service our clients properly. Britain's post-Brexit supply chain crisis could cancel Christmas and continue to cause food shortages well into 2022, industry leaders have warned. Boris Johnson's government has been urged to ease immigration rules so some EU citizens who left the UK during Brexit can return and help fill major gaps in the workforce, report Adam Forrest and Holly Bancroft. The head of the co-op supermarket said on Wednesday that current food shortages were the worst he had ever seen, while Iceland's boss warned that supply disruption could see Christmas cancelled for some families this year. Welcome back, this is Misty101.com podcast.
Visit www.misty101.com for great offers, read reviews and blogs, free shipping and great service, subscribe and get notification of new offers and discounts. Stay tuned. We hope that you have enjoyed the show. We thank you for being with us and your support. Goodbye till next time.